We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Casey! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome into another off-season edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, September 27th. We are now officially under one month, one calendar month until the start of the NBA season. A lot of media days on Monday, a lot of training camps starting on Tuesday. Joel Embiid is playing basketball. He's playing through illness at training camp for the first day of practice for the Sixers on Tuesday. I'm Nick Whalen. I'm joined by DJ Trainer and... We're gonna kind of just gonna kind of go off the cuff, I think, for the most part with this podcast, as we have with a lot of our preseason pods. Uh, some of them a little bit more structured, but this one we want to talk about um, basically improved players or players that we think can take a big step forward this season, both in and out of the fantasy basketball realm. There's gonna be, a, I think, a lot of overlap there. You know, if, if a player improves on the court, they're probably gonna improve from a fantasy perspective as well. Um, 
But first, this is something I really wanted to ask you. I even had it on our outline in the last podcast we did. You're starting a fantasy reality TV league within the office here. One, how's it going as far as recruiting people? Two, what is that about? I think I immediately responded with a hard no. Um, so part of me regrets that, not getting any more info. But how's, how's that whole thing shaking out for you? Uh, it's going well. We're doing a survivor um, fantasy league. And no, I'm not talking about a survivor pool, not talking about survival guides of any kind or anything like that, not to be confused with the NFL survivor pool. The show Survivor with Jeff Probst and all that. Reality TV, man, it might be the next big wave of fantasy. Might see a little uh, reality TV tab on the road to wire. Seriously? Uh, no, no, okay. not anytime right, soon. Okay. But, uh, you know, there are actually websites out there that host, you know, Fantasy Survivor. Uh, recently just finished up uh, Fantasy Big Brother with my family. <laughs> I'm not joking, man. Is, what sh- are there any kind of shows that you can't play fantasy for? Like, Can I do, like, Fantasy Family Feud? No, you can't do Family Feud because it's not like you need to have like a recurring cast of characters that you that tend to get voted off over time. So shows would include Amazing Race, American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. I mean, as long as you start with a finite amount of people and then it slowly windles down, you can generally play fantasy. Some of the like there's some obvious points, right? So like the winner gets a hundred, second gets thirty, yeah, something like that. Of course, that. yeah. But the cool part is there's lots of filler in between episodes. And so there's these challenges and stuff. So if you win for Survivor, if you win an immunity challenge, you get 30 points. Um, for Survivor, one thing that I like is the Richard Hatch bonus. Uh, if you watch the first season of Survivor, as you start to slump in your chair. Yeah, Nick, I kind of regret asking you this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me just get this out because it's pretty cool. And then we'll talk yeah, about it. We're already NBA. too far in. We're, already too, we're too deep in the rabbit hole. Uh, Richard Hatch was just like constantly nude. Like he just walked around the island just nude. Mm-hmm. So in respect to him and in, in remembrance of Richard Hatch, who's still alive, uh, anytime a body part is blurred out, you get plus one points. So, you know, there's lots, there's lots that can be done. Uh, okay. That's what you get for asking me about reality yeah. TV fantasy. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Are there still spots left in this league? Un- unfortunately, there are no spots. Uh, and we actually had too many people within oh, Rotowire no. asked to join. Uh, so your snarky attitude and your snarky email was <laughs> not appreciated. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got it filled up. So let's talk some hoops. Um, we'll go position by position. And, and again, these, these are players, and you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll go off on tangents that that we see taking a step forward. And, and the biggest thing, um, you know, and this is talked about a lot with the Most Improved Player of the Year award, is it's not necessarily the player who made the most dramatic improvement from the end of last season to, you know, I guess what'll in the end of this be the end of the 2016-17 season. A lot of it is just opportunity, um, and, and certainly it takes personal improvement to earn that opportunity. But a player like CJ McCollum, right was really good before he, you know, doubled his minutes and won most improved player of the year. So, I mean, there's going to be guys like that. I think the first guy we can talk about is Dennis Schroeder, who goes from being the, you know, the part-time, you know, kind of 1A point guard in Atlanta coming off the bench. Jeff Teague traded to Indiana in the offseason, basically clearing the way for Schroeder. I mean, he's going to go from playing, what was he, in the mid-20s as far as minutes last season? 20.3. 20.3 is a low 20s, right. Uh, I mean, that could that we could see close to a plus 15-minute increase there. The depth at point guard in Atlanta is not great at all. Um, Schroeder obviously needs to improve as a shooter, but 
other than that, I don't see there being a huge drop-off from Teague to Schroeder when you're looking at this Atlanta Hawks team as a whole. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If, if you look at the high end of Teague's production, that's what I'm expecting for Schroeder. So I know this is your point guard. I don't have him on my list. We'll kind of just go back and forth. But yeah, I do agree that he is certainly a candidate, at least at the point guard position, for being one of those most improved players when we look back at this coming season in you know, however many months. Uh, I, I will say that the big determining factor for me in trying to find some players at each position is, you know, when you look at their stat line, their season stat line, their averages, like who really just takes like a really big jump, not just like uh, like an expected jump of, you know, like, you know, like, uh, I guess what it say, like a linear jump, but ser- but like an exponential jump in stats. I'm not so sure that Schroeder's going to do that because last year he was already averaging 4.4 assists as a point guard. That's where you're going to find a lot of your value out of Schroeder. He averaged 11 points. I think that could be on the biggest rise. Like if he averages 16 or 17, obviously that's a really big jump. But in terms of assists and steals, he was averaging just under one last year. I'm not going to see, I don't think I'm going to see that huge jump that maybe I would see from somebody like a D'Angelo Russell who we both have listed as well yeah that, that's true I think we've seen enough of Schroeder and he's still young I mean it, it was he going into year four I believe now yep um so there's certainly still room to improve and he's going to improve but I think we we at least kind of have a baseline through three years and even though he's only started 16 games over those three years we kind of know what he's about at this point we know his strengths we know his weaknesses we know his limitations with D'Angelo Russell I feel like we don't really know those quite yet um I think with everything that happened in LA from Kobe to Byron Scott um it it just kind of it wasn't the right environment I guess for D'Angelo Russell to be unleashed uh as he will be I think what everyone expects him to be uh, in year two so we don't really know what his ceiling is as an offensive player as as you know an assist guy who put up great assist numbers at the college level which is tough to do not that many guys do that and then he you know he comes in and his assist numbers are relatively modest last season there's a guy that you look at as somebody who could really you know go up two or three you know points or you know per game points however you want to label it in terms of assists next season not just because he's going to be playing more minutes but because he's going to be playing an entirely new style and he's going to be more comfortable yeah, totally. I totally agree. And so when I'm looking at most improved players, I'm not just looking at one category. And I think D'Angelo Russell could hit a few different categories and jump, you know, a full point in some of the lesser ones like steals, 1.2 steals last year. But if he's playing like 35 minutes a game, maybe he bumps up close to that two mark assists only 3.3 last year. If he doubles that, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that, though, is like, even like per 36 last year, he was still only at 4.2. Well, here, here's, the, here's the huge, huge thing on why he's my number one potential most improved player at point guard, Byron Scott. If if right. D'Angelo Russell wins most improved player at the end of the year, he needs to thank Byron Scott first and foremost for basically, you know, giving him garbage minutes, uh, not respecting him, not letting him get in a groove. I, I, I think that, you know, he was held back. And so his per 36 minutes doesn't really mean anything to me because of Byron Scott. I think that's fair. I, I think there are only a handful of coaching situations where you could really kind of make that case that, you know, a coach can single-handedly, you know, dramatically impact what you expect from a statistical standpoint. I think Sam Mitchell for for much of last year in Minnesota, you could kind of say the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's just going to be it's going to be a better situation overall in LA. Like they're not going they might not win any more games than they won last year. But the specter of Kobe is gone. You know, the the fan base at least seems to have embraced by now, you know, that they're going to rebuild with what's a pretty promising young core rather than just let's get through the season and sign everybody that we can in the offseason. They, they generally seem to have bought into the rebuild, which is something we haven't seen from the Lakers in, you know, 20 years. So 
I think everything seems to be trending in the right direction, at least for those guys to develop as they should. I will say one thing. It's really hard not to project, though, the Warriors over the last couple of years onto this Laker team because of Luke Walton. And if you look at somebody like Steph Curry, obviously he's a transcendent player, but you wonder, even if Walton gives... Russell like half the leash that Curry has then he's really going to have a lot of room to do some stuff you know bump up that three-point made he did make one or 1.6 which is pretty good but Mm -hmm. you know there's just so much his ceiling is being raised so much higher than it was last year I really get excited maybe more so with Russell than any other player we're about to talk about yeah I think you know once we get a month or two into the season we're either going to be we're going to have a good idea, I think, of how the season's going to go for Russell. I think we could look back and say, well, you know, maybe he just wasn't quite as good as we thought, or he's going to be off to a really strong start um, and kind of following, as we just said. So we'll see. Um, any other point guards? Or you want to move on to shooting guard? Let's go to shooting guard. Okay, so I have Zach Levine, Devin Booker. I think those are both two pretty obvious choices. Um, I don't think Booker's so obvious. I mean, he had an no? amazing end to last year. I mean, if you look at his stats from January onward, I I don't think he's going to touch that this season when you have Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight back. Yeah. I think if anything he's going to regress. I don't think he's going to regress. I think they're the thing is he's going to be playing out of position a lot now. Um I think they didn't realize how good he was right away and you know maybe wouldn't have realized it had the injuries not happened to, to Bledsoe and Knight. Uh but now it's 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 a good problem to have but at the same time you know you you have a few too many mouths to feed on in that backcourt right now and you do wonder if they maybe look to move Knight or look to move Blood. So I think Booker right now is probably the most safe among those three, right? Like he's, he might be the most coveted asset, even though like right this second, he's probably the third best player out of those three. I think he still has the highest ceiling long-term, and he doesn't have any of the injury concerns, at least not yet, that you have about Knight and especially Blood. So Yeah, you're not beholden to Blood so or Knight whatsoever. Like, he, I mean... I mean, there's there's no loyalty to those two players. They really haven't done anything yet. They haven't stayed healthy. You can <clears> get well, you gave, I mean, you gave them the contracts. That's the thing. Okay. That if that's, that's where the loyalty is, is that, you, you, that certainly that's only binding in a certain sense. You know, you, it doesn't mean you can't get rid of them, but they at least put their faith in, in both of those guys when they signed them. So let, let's factor this in. Let's just say that even if they decide to move Bledsoe or Knight or Booker, that that won't happen until closer to the deadline anyway. So I don't, I mean, I don't, that's just kind of speculation too. I think they're totally fine, you know, just playing Devin Booker at the three for now. Wow, are they? I mean, their defense is going to be so bad. And not only that, Nick. And they're going to be bad no matter what, right? But TJ Warren is really good, too. Like, yeah. he showed a lot of promise last year. War, I mean, Warren needs to be playing at small forward. Booker needs to be at shooting guard. And Bledsoe and Knight just kind of have it's, – it's, it's a really tough situation. And, oh, yeah, you've got that thorn in your side, PJ Tucker, who has gobbled up so many minutes at small forward over the last couple of years. That, that just throws a wrench in it. I mean, Tucker, Warren, Booker, Knight, Bledsoe, do you really think all five of those guys are going to be on the roster at the end of the season? I hope not. I mean, it's just hard to like. What value are you getting back? Like, if you're if you want to go into the deadline trying to move Eric Bledsoe, like, what exactly are you looking for there? Like, well, you can. I mean, you can get more return if you wait until the trade deadline and a contender loses a point guard or loses a shooting right. guard, and somebody will be more than willing to overpay for somebody like a Bledsoe or Knight. And I think that might be their move. But I mean, where's their biggest weakness right now? I mean, you have the you have Youth. a young center in Len. Youth. You have a, a young power forward in in Marquise Chris and you have Dragon Bender like they they're kind of like the Nuggets to me where you have a lot of good players every position but nobody that you get extremely excited about you know obviously you know Bledsoe when healthy is really really good Booker looks really good um but I just I just don't know like I don't know that moving Knight or Bledsoe 
necessarily helps your team. I, I don't know what they would what what they're lacking right now that they would need that would provide better value than either of those guys. They just need a couple years. I mean, in terms of a core, they do have a nice core. Booker, hopefully Bender, Chris, Alex Len. I mean, that's a really good core. I mean, if you're going to compare it to some other cores, like I, I would put the Jazz first, then the Timberwolves. I mean, the Bucks slide nope. in there somewhere, mm-hmm. and then you go underneath with the Suns. But in a couple of years, Nick, if you have that same core, these guys are going to be more experienced, and maybe that's when you make a move or something like that. But, yeah, there's there's certainly – I don't know. There's, it's, it's a tough situation for Booker. I genuinely think that he's going to have more value last season than he will this season unless injuries clear the way. That certainly happened last year. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the Suns aren't rooting for any injuries to happen, but it's it would certainly make things easier, and it, and it did last year. This isn't going to be a playoff team either way, um, but yeah, it will be very interesting to see how they slot Devin Booker in. You know, I think from a pure basketball perspective, he's certainly going going to improve year one to year two. He was really good in the summer league, um, but yeah, I mean, will the opportunity be there like it was over the second half of last season from a minutes perspective? That's definitely not a guarantee. So let's talk about Levine. I think he's, you know, what's funny in terms of being most improved, people already judge him based on the slam dunk competition. So it's hard for him to find improvement because when you're actually watching him play basketball, I don't know how much of an, he will improve. I think he will improve. But again, you have, you have such a good core there that he might be bounced out and not see enough minutes to see his numbers rise to the point where you'd say, wow, he really improved statistically Mm -hmm. this season. Yeah, that that is interesting. The the dunk contest moniker, you know. I asked when I talked to Devin Ma- Devin Mason, Desmond Mason, uh, a, a while back for a podcast. I asked him, you know, did you like being the dunker guy? Like, you know, every team you came to after you won the dunk contest, it was, you know, this is a guy who won the dunk contest, and he he said he embraced it. He said he liked that label. But I would imagine that there are guys who want to, you know, kind of get out from under that label, especially Levine, who's won it the first two years in the league. Like, if you're a casual NBA fan, all you know about Zach Levine is he can dunk the ball, and and I think you know, even devout followers of the NBA, I think he needs to prove, I guess, that he can do more than that. And he did in year two. I mean, the the efficiency took a major jump. I mean, this was a guy that his biggest weakness coming out of the draft was he can't shoot. Shoots 34% from three as a rookie, not bad. And then almost 40%, just a hair below uh, in his second year. So, you know, it's hard to maybe imagine him shooting 40 plus percent from three, but if he can hover in those high thirties again, I don't see his minutes dropping a ton. I, I think if anybody's going to lose minutes to to the addition of Chris Dunn, it's going to be Rubio. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. I mean, most definitely. But if you look at Levine's stat line, I don't know where there's room to improve because in points, there's just there's too many other guys that can definitely score the ball. I mean, he averaged 14 points per game last year. That's pretty good, 28 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that he's a Gerald Green type of player where – yeah, outside shooting is going to be his calling card over the long haul. Um, even though you know he's like a freak inside, or he can drive to the hole incredibly strong, I think that he's going to have more value being able to stretch the court and play a little, you know, second team point guard, which he's proven that he can do. I just don't know if like the second team point guard thing. Um, I, I don't think it matters like this that, much. But this I just year, don't yeah. know is that even going to be a role for him this year with Dunn. I think that's kind of built in for Dunn. You know, I I do think, and I do hope that they move Rubio at some point. I think that's what's best for the team, but they've been reluctant to do that. They had opportunities to do that around the draft. What's not clear is whether they didn't want to part with Rubio or they were not willing to include Levine in a deal. And I seem to think it's the latter. Okay. So just like when we talked about Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe, let's say they decide to move Rubio, where would they decide to improve? I'm I'm guessing the early answer would be power forward. 
Gorgie Dang really isn't that bad, and you don't need to have five stalwarts at each position. What you know, like role player would make shooting. this team better? Shooting. Yeah, I, I mean it's hard to to manufacture a trade. You know, just just right now. Um, don't like Bielitsa. Context, but no, I don't like Bielitsa. Um, I think this this is the worst three point shooting team by volume in the league last season. Um, and you know, Chris Dunn is a, a better shooter, I think, than people give him credit for. I think he he kind of got the you know the rondo label i guess coming out of college but he shot really well from three uh, his final year at providence i think he's probably going to be closer to a john wall type of player who you know isn't a knockdown three-point shooter but doesn't kill you in that area um so you know i mean if you're able to flip rubio and 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 bring back some shooting preferably somebody uh, like a ryan anderson would be ideal for this team because towns is going to be able to shoot the three at some point in his career maybe it's this season maybe it's down the road but he's not going to be a volume three-point shooter you know if you have towns at center and and Jang at power forward, that's great defensively, but you also can't space the floor, especially when your point guard is Ricky Rubio. Um, so I think they look for some sort of some sort of floor spacing four, which you know on paper sounds great, but there's only so many of those guys who are really really effective in that role in the NBA. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they were hoping Bielita would be somebody like that. You've already kind of like cast him aside, and that that's fair enough. Uh, I mean, a lot of teams could say, you know, we'd love a stretch four, but they're stacked so 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 many places. Right. So maybe Ricky Rubio for a Ryan Anderson, or you know, I mean, who's who's a legitimate? I'm trying to think of somebody else. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that deal works out necessarily. But, yeah, as somebody like that, um, and, again, it, it's harder than it seems. You know, there aren't yeah. that many really good stretch you, fours. You know, we say that a lot. We always say, like, somebody like yeah. uh, like like him. And I, I don't know. It's tough to duplicate what he brings to the table. It is. Uh, let's talk about the shooting guard that I have on my list, and that's Gary Harris of, of Denver. Now, that seems somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, I'll, I'll give anybody that if they want to fight me there because Will Barton is there, because Jamal Murray is there. But guess what? Will Barton played very, very well, and he was in consideration for most improved player last year. For whatever reason, Gary Harris stood his ground, must be a great practice player, and, and retained the starting shooting guard position. I think that he continues to do that, and you know what? He digs in his heels because Murray's there, because Barton continuing to improve, and I think he really stakes his ground and that maybe the Nuggets get rid of Barton or somebody like that. Um, I don't know that Murray's going to be quite ready yet, but essentially, I think Gary Harris is adored by his coaching staff, held off Will Barton last year. There's even more motivation for him to work and play hard with Jamal Murray added, of course. And I think also the general public might start to take note of him like they haven't in the last couple of years. He averaged 32 minutes per game and played 76 games last year. I mean, if he can figure out his shot as somebody who only averaged 12.3 points per game last year and shot 35% from beyond the arc, if he inc- bumps up that number, this is a guy that we could definitely be talking about as a most improved player in the league. I like Gary Harris, but I'm kind of going to buy into exactly what you cautioned You know, at the start of there's just too much depth right there right now. I think he starts the year at shooting guard. I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes Jamal Murray's spot at some point. Um, they're getting Gallinari back. He missed 30 games at the end of last year. Um, Wilson Chandler missed the entirety of last season. He's played you know about 20% of his career minutes at shooting guard. Um, you know, Both those guys profile small forwards, but so does Will Barton, ideally. you know, I think you have... Barton, Gallinari, Chandler, Harris, Jamal Murray. They also drafted Malik Beasley in the first round, right about the same spot in the draft where they got Gary Harris a couple of years ago. Um, and then, of course, Moutier. You know, you have that seven, eight guys basically to fill three spots. And I think they're going to they're gonna work against that and have Jamal Murray back up Emmanuel Moutier at point guard quite a bit. That's something that Gary Harris can't do. So if there's an argument for Harris, it's that, you know, maybe in year one, Murray spends most of his time on the ball just because that's where they need him. Uh, but I think Murray's upside long-term 
is considerably higher than, than that of Harris. So, you know, if they have to prioritize one or the other, I think it's going to be Murray. You know, we'll see at this point. But I think they roll with Harris to start because this this is a team that probably believes it can make the playoffs and maybe can make the playoffs, you know, with all this depth, especially on the wing. So I think I think Gary Harris can duplicate what he did last season. I just, I don't know if he gets... One, I don't know if he gets to 32 minutes a game again. Two, I don't see there's there's no way that he's going to exceed that. Yeah, granted, this is a risky pick uh, for the topic that we're talking about. Over his last 25 games last season, though, averaged 34 minutes per game and just under 15 points per game. If he can, you know, start at that baseline and continue to mature, you know, maybe he'll make a case for for the Nuggets to trade Will Barton instead of trading him or or you know. The thing about Barton is he's on like the best contract in the league. You know, so, so I think it could work both ways. Like, it's really valuable in a trade, but. You know, as far as balancing salaries, it's tough because he's getting paid like two point five million dollars each of the next two years. Um, so, like for the Nuggets, it's just like, why would we not keep this guy who's basically on a minimum deal and is really, really good? Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe they move, maybe they look to move Wilson Chandler at some point. You know, the, the Gallinari Chandler pairing has worked when healthy, but ne- neither of them can seem to stay healthy, and certainly not at the same time. Um, but to me, just the move to draft two natural shooting guards in the first 20 picks was a little odd you're right and that's I mean that makes me hesitant on both Harris and and both Barton and so I as somebody who has a stake in both of those in in keeper leagues and our staff keeper league which you and I will definitely talk quite a bit about this this year and on the Friday pod with the with three amigos with with Ken and Shannon we talk about it quite a bit I don't know how it's going to result I don't know how it's going to work out but I think Harris showed a lot to like last season and I'm only expecting him to improve because his feet are to the fire with the depth at shooting guard so we'll keep our eye on the situation but we can definitely move on to small forward okay um I went Kelly Oubre. This is basically a list of names. You know, I didn't want to pick just one. Kelly Oubre, who the, the the Wizards kind of intimated at media day on Monday that he might be pushing Otto Porter for that starting small forward spot, which I thought was odd. Um, but you know, you hear, talk, you hear a lot man. of things like that. I mean, Oubre was good when he was on the on the floor last season, and the Wizards have no depth, so he's gonna he's gonna be playing a lot regardless of whether he's starting or not. Harrison Barnes. I, I I keep going back and forth with James Anderson about this. Like I think they want Harrison Barnes to be the, the number two option, two you know maybe co number two option was with, with Wes Matthews, and I don't know how he's going to respond to that. You know, is a guy who's been like the number one option for basically his entire career until he got drafted. So part of me thinks maybe you don't lose that. You know, when you're the number one high school player, you're you know, the number one option at Carolina for two years. Like you know, but does playing in Golden State and kind of making your way in the NBA as a role player, like how, how easy is it to vacillate between that, that mindset of, all right, I'm just going to fit in and do my job to now you're in a situation where you're being paid and you're being expected uh, to do a, a heck of a lot more than you did you know, each of your first three NBA seasons. It's really hard. I mean, he's been in the league four years, and you're like, oh, we've got a great game log to look at, a great yeah. you know season total to look at. But you got to throw that out the window because it came on that Warriors team. Yeah. Somebody who averaged just under 12 points, under five rebounds, under two assists last year. So in terms of improvement from a statistical sense, I mean, he could bump all of those categories up quite a bit. And I, think I don't he think he will by be default. Surprised. Even if he doesn't have a, a really good year efficiency-wise, he's going to play enough. He's going to have a, a higher usage rate. I think that's going to translate to better production. It's just a matter of, like, is it going to help the, the Mavericks win games? 24 years old. Let's not forget, I mean, he's still on the upward trend in terms of learning how to play in this league. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, it's – people were so high on Harrison Barnes is you know as early as or as late as midway through this past season he kind of tanked the second half the finals and the olympics like i think he's getting 
you know, people are piling on Harrison Barnes maybe more than they should. I'm not saying I think he's going to step in and be a star in Dallas. I don't think that's going to be the case, but he's also not this complete cast off who lost the Warriors the finals. Like, like he'd kind of been typecast for some of the offseason. Yeah, completely unfair. In terms of improvement, I think he's definitely a candidate. Uh, two more on your list, Johnson and Justice Winslow. Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson. Okay. Stanley Johnson, um, who I think if he was in, a, in the right or in a better position individually – would be a bigger breakout candidate, but the Pistons are kind of are pretty deep on the wing. They played their starting five more than any team in the league did last season. Um, and certainly Stan Van Gundy is very comfortable with Morris and KCP on the wing. So what worries me is that, you know, Johnson could, could make these huge strides. I mean, he's a big, big time prospect going back to Arizona. Um, but I just don't know what it would take for him to, to kind of usurp Morris or Coldwell Pope, who seem pretty solidified in those roles. I don't think it's going to happen. He averaged 23 minutes per game last season. I see maybe at the the top end, he, he averages 26 this season around. Somebody who averaged eight points per game, four rebounds per game. He can, he can improve, and it still won't be enough to be considered along with the players we've already mentioned. And even if he does improve from the numbers I just said, it won't necessarily be enough to vault him into fantasy relevancy. And that's not to say that he didn't improve the you know, this coming season during his sophomore campaign, or he's not getting better as an NBA player. It's just the situation is, is what is what it is. If he moves to a different team altogether, then we'd have a different discussion, but the way his team is set up, um, he'll improve, but it doesn't really matter too much in terms of fantasy or in relevancy to the other players we're talking about. I do wonder what their long-term plan is though, because you have Marcus Morris for three more years on a dirt team contract. They They've made it clear they want to re-sign Contavious Caldwell Pope long-term. I, I mean, is, is is Stanley Johnson just going to be the sixth man for this team for the next three years? Like, is that the plan? Hey, man, there has been way better players to you know start their careers out as six yeah. men. James Harden, for example. Is right. Stanley Johnson going to be as good as James Harden? No. Stanley Johnson could forever be a six-man off the bench, but that doesn't mean he doesn't hold value. No, for sure. I mean, I think we'll we'll get to see. I mean, Harden was such a unique case because he was able to handle the ball, and I don't know if they're going to trust Johnson to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point they're going to have to. You know, if he's if he's as good as I think he is, and a lot of people think he is, like I don't know how long you can kind of keep him in that role. I mean, let's say that he's able to, you know, get as many minutes as as possible. Let's 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 have him averaging thirty two minutes per game in a couple of years. How many points per game do you see him averaging? Do you think he'll be a legitimate scorer in the league, or is he just so. going to be more of like a hype energy guy, good guy oh, on defense? I think I think he could be, you know, he could have a twenty point per game year. I think he could be a you know a nineteen. Six and a half rebounds, three assists, a couple steals. It's tough because he's so young. He's only 20 years old. During his freshman year at Arizona, he showed a lot of his immaturity in terms of maybe letting his emotions get the best of him. I still think he has you know, three or four years to grow before he could reach that point. And then, oh, yeah, like you said, he might not even be in a place where he's going to see enough minutes to reach Mm -hmm. his full potential anyway. Yeah, I I think, you know, if we're talking fantasy – probably a guy I'm cooled off on a little bit just because of that situation. But I think as far as individual talent and individual players who can improve, he has to be up there. Uh, you have Mirza Toledovich. Please explain yourself. <laughs> well, quite frankly, the Bucks are, you know, you mentioned the Timberwolves is in terms of volume being, you know, at the bottom end of the league last Bucks year. Bucks were second last. Bucks were second to last uh, in volume and then in efficiency where, where they did last, I think. Um, so, I mean, they desperately need Mirza Toledovic. Not only did they need him before Chris Middleton got hurt, now they desperately need him because Middleton was their number one three-point option. 
Right now, it doesn't seem like he's going to start. It seems like it's going to be a Giannis, Deli, Rashad Vaughn, Jabari, Miles Plumlee starting five. Uh, but Mears is going to have a lot of room, you know, for lots of minutes, 28 to 32. And in that span, I wouldn't be surprised if he was knocking four to five threes down per game. The only issue is that he's their only legitimate threat from beyond the arc now Delhi you can you can argue one way or another he's coming off a great year but I think LeBron James did a lot for Delhi's three-point shooting percentage last year and the open looks he got uh, but you know I don't see Rashad Vaughn stepping up and taking over that role like they hope they hoped he would when they drafted him there's going to be so many opportunities for Mirza to shoot beyond the arc and so in terms of improvement he's a guy that I think a lot of people will be relying on in the three-point category alone this year in terms of fantasy and then of course I I just think that vaults a lot of his numbers up because he's going to be spending more time on the court for the Bucks. yeah I think with Chris Middleton going down I was a little bit surprised that Jason Kidd at media day on Monday hinted that they're going to bring Tolanovich off the bench which defensively I see why you would want to do that um but they need that shooting. And they, it, as soon as they lost Middleton, I think it became clear, um, and it should have been clear before, but it, you really start to look at that roster and think like, wow, they really depended on Chris Middleton for a lot of three-point shooting last season. They also depended on O.J. Mayo and, and Jared Bayless, who are both gone. So, you know, like you just said, this was a, a one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the last five or ten years in all of the NBA. Um, so, you know, I think ideally Giannis and Jabari improve in that aspect, but this is, we were having this exact same conversation last year that didn't happen. So I, I think if anything, we've been taught that you can't take that for granted, um, to just expecting guys to improve like that. But as far as Delhi, I think I'm not going to compare Giannis to LeBron, but those same type of kickout opportunities are going to be there. I mean, yeah. Giannis is, Giannis is just about as good as anyone his age at getting in and, and kicking out. So I think Delavadova is not a guy you want. He's not going to be pulling up from three off the, off of a high screen or anything like that. He might start at point guard nominally, but he's basically going to be playing the two. Rashad Vaughn might be the worst starter in the NBA, assuming that the the Bucks go forth with with that plan. There are D league teams he probably wouldn't have started for last season, and that's really not an exaggeration. So I I don't know how long that lasts. Like you you mentioned, maybe he starts you know 40 games but does he pull you know he's the first guy subbed out after a couple minutes that's probably how it's going to go but this is not going to be a great year for the Milwaukee Bucks it's yeah I unfortunately that might be an understatement after all the excitement three years ago it's a shame um one thing I'll say is I think this move to start Rashad Vaughn is essentially just trying to jumpstart him you know, just like spark something within him to get him going. His three-point shooting, you know, obviously he's inexperienced. As an 18-year-old, he basically was for part of the season, maybe for half the season, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, not, not, not even half the season. He was a 19-year-old all season last year. Um, I, something has to spark inside him because he should have been a better three-point shooter. I don't care about age. He had a lot of open looks that just ca- clanked off the rim. Not not even like you know, just he was missing. He was clanking off the rim. So you know what? You know what though? Like he's he's going to be a starter. But if things don't break his way, I mean, the Bucks could essentially ride him off after the first forty games of the season, and his whole NBA career could could take an interesting turn if he doesn't give them a presence behind the arc. I mean, if you're a player, I think this is a situation you want to be in, though. You know, I, Rashad Vaughn, as an outsider, like, yeah, I have no faith after what I saw from last season that Rashad Vaughn is going to turn it around. But if you're him and you're in this kind of you know precarious situation after a, a horrific rookie year, 
I think you want to be given the opportunity to, to play your way out of it, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. But getting back to Toledovic, I think he, if you're talking Delhi, Toledovic, Vaughn, he's probably the one to own if you want the volume three-point production. He's not going to give you much you know, in any other counting stats, but he's going to shoot probably in the mid to high 30s percentage-wise, and there, there's going to be nights where he takes seven or eight threes. Right. And I think, you know, people might initially say, oh, Delhi, you know, he was, you know, solid at Cleveland last year if he has somebody like Kyrie Irving out of the way. But you know what? It's it's maybe more so a log jam at point guard for Delhi this year with Giannis, MCW, and even Jason Terry there. Um, you maybe even you want to vouch for Malkin Brogdon a little bit. I, I don't know if you do or not, but regardless, it, it's a log jam there. I think that Mirza out of Delhi, Vaughn, and Toledovic. Uh, so Toledovic having the most value. Of course, I could be proven wrong, but it just seems like they need him so desperately. Why wouldn't he be a go-to yeah. option for them? Yeah, they need somebody to shoot, and, and he's certainly the most viable candidate at this point. Power forward, a lot of guys in this area. Now, you have Nikola Mirotic. Uh, I do wonder about you know how he's going to be used, like how much does Bobby Portis factor into that? Um, you know, Taj Gibson's certainly still there, and um, Cristiano Felicio, who I think is going to be a, a pretty solid part of this rotation, really out of necessity at the center spot. I had a couple guys who I think are fairly obvious too. Aaron Gordon, you know, everybody's looking for him to finally make the leap. Would, maybe he should be a small forward now. I don't know what the Magic are doing, stockpiling big men, Bayambo, Ibaka, Vucevic. Like between those three, you got to think you know they suck up most of the minutes at center and power forward. Gordon kind of seemed to turn things on playing power forward last year. They make those moves to bring in Bayambo and Ibaka, and all of a sudden Gordon's kind of relegated to small forward, which to me, I don't think anybody's... I still haven't read anything or heard anything that definitively defends what the Magic did this offseason. It seems like they just kind of close their eyes and, and sign some guys to offer sheets, and they both happen to be big men. Yes, I have no idea either. You know what? When we were compiling our notes for this, I literally wrote Aaron Gordon, and then I reminded myself and looked at the depth chart and deleted his name in terms <sighs> of tough. potential. Because, I mean, I, I thought all along that the reason, the impetus to get rid of Victor Oladipo was to give Mario Hizonia more minutes. But then they sign Evan Fournier to a massive yeah, extension, I, and then it's like, oh, I guess Aaron Gordon like has to fit in at right. small forward. Like Jeff Green, like what but are you then, doing? But then I think that you know, it, there's just so many conflicting things going on here. I don't know what is going on. Unfortunately, it's not a good environment right. for Aaron Gordon to flourish, and I'm not willing to put my stamp of approval on his numbers trending upward this year. Right, and it's frustrating too because he he did look really good at, at times last season, and I, the minutes are still going to be there. Like I am generally a fan of playing guys if you if you can split positions. Like Gordon could be a power forward or a small forward. I think he's looked better at power forward that it fits his current skill set, and he is still developing. So I mean, maybe he could be a different player by the time the season opens. But I am generally a fan of like playing a, a bigger, more athletic player down a position. Like it gives him that advantage at small forward. Like he's quick enough and big enough that he can defend the small forward position just fine and you know why not give him a little bit of a height advantage uh at that spot but at the same time when you showed so much promise as a power forward and you're basically bringing in you know players with less upside at this point in their career you know I really like Serge Ibaka I think it's a good fit for him personally with this Orlando team but is one year of Serge Ibaka you know he's one this is he can be a free agent this next summer like was is that worth kind of pushing Aaron Gordon's development aside for a little bit and you know to be fair they can still develop him at small forward they they know more about him than we do uh it it just seemed like kind of an oddly win now move to acquire Ibaka 
when the rest of your roster is not built to win now? Yeah, it's I don't I don't know why we even try to make sense to it because there's no sense. It's it's nonsense. The what I don't understand first and foremost, and we can move on because it it's literally nonsense. I don't know why Aaron Gordon's career hasn't been modeled after Blake Griffin. Griffin's six ten, Aaron Gordon's six nine, about the same weight. I mean, in terms similar of like hair, yeah. similar hair, like like trying to develop an outside long two pointer shot probably shouldn't be doing it. I mean, there's just so much similarity here, and Orlando is just botching it. They're just, just got to pick it. one. You know, I think if you if you want to develop him as a small forward, I mean, he can handle the ball. He can, he can. He's not the playmaker or the passer that Blake is, but he's you know it's not lumbering out there at small forward. You just can't you can't have him play power forward one year, small forward the next year, and you just just pick a spot at least, pick a role. I know. And then, I mean, we can move over to his own and, and bring up the same similar gripes. Like, why did you draft him? Why are you not playing him? Why are you, why don't you deal Fournier? I, it, it just, it just, nothing makes sense. We might as well move on. If, if Gordon improves, awesome. He did it in spite of or Orlando, like not helping him at all. Um, mm-hmm. Not because Orlando, you know, held his hand and guided him through his third year in the league. I think he's talented enough that he will improve. Uh, I have Kevin Love on my list. Wow. Not a guy who I think is going to be a candidate for most improved player. Although I did see, a, do you know who the oldest player to win the most improved player of the year award is? I feel like you just gave me some subtle hints there. No, no, no? it's a, this is a tough one. I would be very surprised. It's, that's not a knock on you. It's just it's, it was a while ago. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Ryan Anderson, but uh, no, Daryl Armstrong. Hmm. Okay. Daryl Armstrong won it at age 30, which as far as I could see was the, the oldest player to ever win it. The only player to be above age 28. Um, but you know, Kevin Love, I think this, they figured out a way to deploy Kevin Love in, in a way that was almost undefendable for the first two and a half series of the playoffs. I mean, Kevin Love was the Cavs. It wasn't the best offensive player. I mean, it was, it's always going to be LeBron and Kyrie's talent is undeniable, but he was kind of their biggest weapon, and they, they designed their offense around that against Detroit, against Atlanta, and you know half of that series against Toronto. They did struggle in, in games three and four. Um, but for the start of those playoffs, Kevin Love was, was everything that they expected him to be all along. And I, I do wonder if they kind of figured something out. Obviously, that went away against Golden State, but the Cavs scheming for Golden State and any team scheming for Golden State is so unlike any other matchup that you know, I, I don't think you can look at Kevin Love and say, man, you know, his numbers were, were terrible in the finals. He's he's just back to being, you know, Kevin Love from a year and a half ago. I don't think that's the case. I think the Cavs figured something out, you know, towards the end of the regular season in that playoff run. And, you know, it, there's, there's this belief that LeBron is going to kind of coast through this season. And if that if you believe that he's going to do that, that means more of the onus falls on Kyrie, more of it falls on Kevin Love. Um, so I, I think he's not going to be back to putting up his Minnesota numbers, but Going into year three with the Cavs, all of those, you know, how do we utilize Kevin Love? How does he fit in? Those questions should be should no longer be surrounding him at this point. Great point, Nick. And, you know, he's not an intuitive choice at power forward. But if you look at his stats, 16 points per game last year. If you look at his career high, he averaged 26. Yeah. 10 less than yeah, his career like, high. what, 42% shooting or something? Right. And I know, obviously, that's a bad comparison because he was that Minnesota Timberwolves team back in 2013-14 or 11-12. Which it doesn't matter which one you look at. But... I just hope that the Cavaliers essentially let Kyrie take turn 
leading the second team offense, and then they take turns letting Kevin Love run the second team offense. I don't know how you work that out, but you just let it happen. I'm expecting both Irving's numbers and Love's numbers to increase this year, and I think Love's numbers have the most potential to take a big jump where he could average 20 points per game this year. You know, when he gets to the playoffs, that's when Papa LeBron is going to take over and, and own all the stats. But in terms of the regular season, I do think that there is room for growth in Kevin Love's stats. Do you think Kevin Love gets back to the All-Star game this year? Yeah, he almost made it this year. Yeah, I thought so too. And I, I talked with James about this earlier today, and we, we kind of we threw out our rough estimates of um, you know who we, who we think will end up making the All-Star team. And it, it is hard to find a spot for Kevin Love, but if the Cavaliers are head and shoulders above everyone again, as they certainly can be and probably should be, you know, I think it, it's probably tough to keep Kevin Love off that roster because, like you said, they, the Cavs weren't all that dominant in the first half of last season. Love really wasn't all that dominant, although you do have to, you know, there was no spot for Kyrie last year because he missed most of the first half. Um, you know, I think Kevin Love gets back on the All Star team this year, and and is is just shouldering a bigger load of that Cavs offense through the regular season at least. Ryan Anderson, I think he he is in like the peak Ryan Anderson spot to utilize his abilities. I mean, this is you could not tailor make a better a better position for him to be in right now. A, a system that doesn't value defense, a system that val- that values high octane, you know, moving the ball up and down the court offensively tons of three-point attempts. I mean, he was born to play in a Mike D'Antoni offense. Yep, I completely agree. We talk about players like Ryan Anderson. I think Mirza Toledovic, by the way, is a player like Ryan Anderson. You can say poor man's Anderson, but what he is, tall guy oh, yeah. that can stretch the court, stretch four. Um, so I, I can't believe I didn't make that comparison. But yeah, this is tailor-made to him. I like it a whole lot. I like the Rockets this year, indeed, as well. And, you know, he's, he could definitely improve. Let me take a look at his stats real quick, because I forget. 66 games last year, 30 minutes per game with New Orleans. That's pretty crazy I guess a team that was in desperate need of of people to play minutes 17 points per game six rebounds I I don't know Nick two threes per game I see that definitely shooting up but do you see his points and rebounds jumping higher than 17 and six and the scoring probably doesn't get too much higher than that just because I don't think he's going to be asked to do a whole lot more than just catch and shoot but I mean there there might be nights where he where we're going to the end of the third quarter and he's like eight of nine from three you know because it's just going to be drive and kick um so he's just he's kind of just a better option offensively than Trevor Ariza and I think they're going to play together Ariza's defense kind of helping offset uh Anderson's lack of abilities on that end um but as far as rebounding like there's there are going to be rebounds to be had there no Dwight Howard Clint Capella steps in at center but you know not a guy who's just who's going to gobble up 15 a game so I think this is an interesting case where we talk about statistical improvement we talk we talk, we talk, we talk about, you know, wind shear improvement. And this is like the X factor category of improvement where he gets, you know, like his stats will probably be more similar to what they were as last year. But in terms of exposure on a team with James Harden, a team that could be, you know, be a four, five, six, seven seed, uh, as opposed to a team like New Orleans, that's getting no publicity. They're going nowhere in the playoff race. So even if his stats are just bumped up a little bit, he's going to have that public impression that he has improved a lot from last year only because you weren't hearing his name, not because he wasn't getting stats. You're talking Ryan Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he's a guy that's kind of fluctuated in and out of the the variable spotlight throughout his and throughout his NBA career. I mean, he's certainly not a star, but he's he's been a part of some really good teams. Thinking back to the to those Magic days, and you know, like you said, kind of kind of disappeared, I guess, from the casual fan radar at least in New Orleans. Jabari Parker, I think he's going to be a trendy pick to to take a big step forward. Somebody who played really well at the end of last year. 
part of that was he was playing almost 40 minutes per game um, as the Bucks kind of just tanked their way to the end there. But without Chris Middleton, if there's any silver lining, you know, as, as a Bucks fan, it's that this is essentially going to force Jabari Parker and Giannis Antetokounmpo to shoulder more of the burden, which for a team that was hoping, I think, to get back into the the back end of the Eastern Conference playoffs, that's maybe not great. Um, but from an individual development standpoint, um, you could see how you could maybe spin this to be beneficial for those two guys. Yeah. Other honorable mention I have at power forward, Trevor Booker, Julius Randle, Gorgie Dang. For, for obvious reasons, Booker moving into a starting power forward spot. Um, Julius Randle doesn't have Byron Scott there anymore. And Gorgie Dang moving into uh, hopefully a solidified spot as starting power forward of the Timberwolves. All right, center, you have Jokic. I, th- I think that's going to be a, a trendy pick there. I'm on board with that. Um, I think Ennis Cantor. I'm I'm worried about the minute situation. That's always the the issue with Cantor is how long can you keep him on the floor until he becomes so much of a liability defensively that it's not worth it. I don't know. In the past, OKC has had the personnel to, you know, to kind of, I, I guess, take that into account. Uh, now I don't know that they do. And you could say the same thing about Utah. Like, getting rid of Ibaka. Um, it's not only a big blow to that offense, but it's probably a bigger blow defensively. I don't know. You, you can play Steven Adams 35 minutes per game. You can play Ursan Ilyasova as much as you want, but I don't know if he's a much better defender than Cantor. At some point to me, I think that Cantor's abilities offensively, and he's been one of the better per minute producers really since his rookie year. I think at some point this might be the year that, 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 that becomes more valuable, uh, than what he kind of what he loses you defensively as the second team main option. I think, yeah. I think w- when Russell's off the court, you have Cameron Payne come in and run the offense. But essentially what that means is find ways to get Canner the ball, find ways to give and go, find ways to, I mean, just pick and roll, whatever, whatever you want to look at, essentially running a baby version of what Russ and Steven Adams are going to do. I think Cameron Payne and Ennis Kander should basically do the same thing. Uh, back in the day, I think, uh, man, uh, Maynard is getting a lot, Eric Maynard is getting a lot of love on this, uh, on this yeah, podcast. This is two pods in a row. Sorry, uh, but, but Eric Maynard and Nick Collison had a good thing off the bench together and running the second team offense about four or five years ago. I think the Thunder are kind of hoping that Campaign and Ennis Cantor will kind of develop that same thing. Steven Adams is somebody I have listed at center as somebody who can improve, mostly because last year, like I just alluded to, is you know he was involved with the pick and roll offense with Russ Westbrook, and you know from a rebounding setup standpoint, he, he's going to get his. He can average a double double every game, but I'm curious to see if Russell Westbrook is really going to look to get him more involved, where he's averaging 12, 14 points per game instead of the you know seven, eight, nine that he was last year. He averaged exactly eight points a game last year. Okay, yeah, I th- I think. You know, we talk about Westbrook in this fun light of, you know, he's going to go crazy this year. He's going to put up these insane numbers. He very well may do that. In fact, I, would, I wouldn't bet against it. Um, but at the same time, I think he's also to the point in his career that he still wants to win. You know, he's had the taste of winning. You know, I don't know what player in the league doesn't want to win. Uh, but, you know, we talk about Westbrook like all he wants to do this year is just go in and get his numbers. Like, I don't think that's who Russell Westbrook is necessarily. I think he's been to the finals. He was in the conference finals last year. He's pretty much been to the playoffs all but what two seasons since coming into the league. Um, he's going to get his numbers, but I still think he recognizes that him averaging 35, 10 and eight and shooting 40% from the field isn't what's best for this team. So I, I do think he's going to get Steven Adams involved. I think he's going to make a point uh, to do that and, and to get everyone involved really overall. I, I don't, I think as much fun as it's going to be to watch Russ this season, we might be pleasantly surprised by, you know, but by the effort he makes, I guess, to to make this not just about him. 
Okay, last player. I, I totally agree, by the way. Over under, real quick, 10.4 assists. That's what he averaged last year. I think over. Yeah, I, I would I would have to look back like what percentage of those went to KD, but it can't it couldn't have been that many, right? Oh yeah, that that's a good factor. Because he maybe loses his aren't. best like you know kick. Right. The, I wouldn't say they're cheap assists, but you know if Westbrook has the ball at the top, swings it to the wing, and KD hits a quick three, there's an assist. You know, like those are gone. As a company, which you and I basically checked off, we have him as nine point five assists this year in our twenty sixteen twenty seventeen projections. That's conservative. That it is conservative, but you know what? That, I mean, it's a great point that you know KD is. Mm-hmm. gobbled up a lot of those so it'll be in it'll be in that range something like that last player that maybe we can debate about debate about before we get into trivia and wrap this thing up uh clint capella i think he's an obvious candidate for for what we've been talking about this whole show however we mentioned it's kind of a run and gun offense mike d'antoni offense do you really think he's gonna fit in i mean i only think he fits in if he's serving as like an amari stoudemire type of role and i don't necessarily think that he can do that i do think james harden is maybe better suited for this offense than maybe even steve nash was maybe we can get into that as well but i I just i'm not so certain that capella is going to be be seeing start or traditionally starters minutes of 32 minutes per game i think it's going to make a lot of sense to not have him on the court and go small with somebody like oh hey ryan anderson who's basically the theme uh, of this podcast at the starting five i think we'll see that at times i you i don't think you can play ryan anderson at the five i don't think defensively you well, can you, do that. well you just said earlier in the pod a team that does not care about defense so who cares play him at the five you have an obvious yeah, I mean, mismatch that, okay, on that, the other that's side what of people the court. say that's what that is what i said to be fair you are right but like i mean they they care about defense at, to some degree like they're not this isn't what is nah, this? you said some, they didn't care at all Nick. isn't there some college team in yeah grinnell in iowa and maybe this is yep. a local thing that that literally only sends like two or three guys back on defense and just throws the ball down shoots threes it was you know four or five years ago there was some kid who scored 100, 100 points, points in the game yeah, yeah. That's not what the Rockets are. I mean, it's the closest thing in the NBA to that, but it's not like they don't just, you know, they're not playing any D. The teams that can afford to go small and put Draymond Green at the five are teams that have all-world defensive players like Draymond Green. Like, Ryan Anderson's not even, like, a capable defender at power forward or small forward, let alone center. Um, so I don't think they do that too much. I think Capella's going to play big minutes out of necessity. I mean, they, their backup center is Nene. Nene is not a good fit for this offense or any offense, really. Um Montrez Harrell, I like, but I think ideally, if you want, if you go small at center, the idea is that that center can either work off the dribble or can shoot the ball and spread the floor. Like, there's just no point to me to doing that with Harrell. You know, like he's a good defender, but he's undersized. He's undersized at the power forward spot. He's even more undersized at center, and he doesn't really give you anything offensively that you don't get from Capella. Yeah, no, that that flexibility that you get on defense, you essentially give it all right back on offense because he, he needs to be, you know, like down in the post yeah. doing nothing, essentially clogging up the lane. So, yeah, you, you're completely right. I mean, so... I don't know. I just don't know what to think. I just don't think that Mike D'Antoni and Clint Capella really mesh as much as maybe people want to admit, or maybe people haven't really dug he, into it yet. I think he can just be a really poor man Stoudemire. Like that's what his role is, right? And, and Stoudemire, we should probably give him more credit for how good he was with those Suns teams. But you can know, he hold? Can can somebody like Capella hold up to something like that? Poor man's version of Stoudemire, sure. I mean, he's not going to be two thousand seven Amar Stoudemire by any means. But I mean, like. Like seven second offense running up and down yeah, the court that much. Think so. You think he's better suited than oh, yeah. than most than centers? Dwight. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at if you're looking at a team that has a big glaring need, I think the Rockets are one of them, and there are several teams with several needs in the league. But um, you know, if, if you talk about teams that are going to be looking to deal, 
they need help at, in the front court. I think. I think they need a backup center. Uh, I think they need someone who can maybe ideally swing between the four and the five. Somebody who could slide up and play the five uh, in that offense. And I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have been so harsh on Ryan Anderson. Like, there, I'm sure there will be times when they run him out there, especially because they're going to need to find uh, find room for Eric Gordon. You know, and I think they want to keep Patrick Beverly on the floor as much as they can for defensive reasons because you look behind him and your backup point guard is Pablo Prigioni. Yeah, it's going to change game to game. Obviously, you're going to find matchups that were are more suited towards Anderson at the five versus Capella versus even somebody like Nene playing right. playing at the five. Uh, when it's all said and done, Nick, all the players we've talked about, I think that the most improved player will come out of somebody that we mentioned here. Who do you think it will be? Most improved player? Um well, I told James this morning I thought it was going to be Giannis. And what? Yeah, because I think I think his numbers are going to have the biggest like glaring leap over we last he, season. We, really? Yeah, I think so. I think he, you know, it's tough because his minutes you know might decrease because he played so much last year. And usually, the you know uh, most improved player of the year is somebody whose minutes increase dramatically, which goes hand in hand with the stat line increasing dramatically. But like Giannis's numbers overall were not that good last season. You know, I think for people who didn't follow the Bucks closely, it wasn't as impressive of, as a year as, you know, us being in Wisconsin, we get to see most of those games. So it was, it was very striking, you know, first half versus second half with Giannis. I think if he does what he did for the second half of the season, even if the Bucks aren't that good, which they won't be, if he averages, you know, 18, eight and a half assists, eight rebounds, two steals and a block, it's going to be hard not to give him that. I agree, but the the starting five that was thrown out there by not only me earlier in this pod, but Jason Kidd suggests that he's not going to be playing power. Pa- well, play I mean, guard. he is. He's just, you know, I think Delhi. that was mostly like we'd rather list Giannis at small forward than list Rashad Vaughn or Delhi at small forward, you know, because, I mean, Giannis is going to be handling the ball. All right, I, I get that. I'm just frustrated because I said... The Middleton uh, thing does throw things off. Yeah, Middleton thing... And that worries it. me from an assist perspective with Giannis is how many of those kick-out assists, you know, he uses that big first step to get by somebody, kicks it off to Middleton for an open three. Like that, that is just out the window now. Now you're kicking to Rashad Vaughn, or you're kicking to Delvadova. Which, you know, if if Rashad takes the jump and Delhi is just as good as he was last year with Cleveland, then maybe yeah. that's not a bad thing. But all right, so you went off the board on that question. Yeah. I think D'Angelo Russell. Okay, I think I think he wins it and he's the favorite. Although he's, I will say I don't think that we would have had if we did this exactly 365 days ago. I don't think that CJ McCollum would have been in the, in this discussion necessarily because we really were looking yeah. at the Trailblazers and saying they've got Damian Lillard and nobody else. Right. So no, I mean it's true. I mean, and didn't McCollum go for 35 on opening night? Yeah, it was I like I mean it immediately changed from right. preseason to regular. Yeah, so season. I mean, basically your point is a week into the season we might have someone else who looks like the front runner. Yeah, I mean, we did have an extensive list. I'll, I'll go with Russell. Um, I think Russell, Russell, this is his award to lose right now. People are expecting him to win it. Well, I think I think you could say that about Giannis, too, because you gave a, a good good argument sure. for that. Um, so anyway, let's get into trivia. Are you good with that? Yeah, wow, this is quite the list you have here. It's, it's more of a speed round. So we just okay. had KG say that he was going to retire. Obviously, he was the active leader in quite a bit of stats. We just had Paul Pierce uh, write that down, jot that down, Nick, the name Paul Pierce, uh, say that he's going to retire at the end of this year. And so, I mean, these are a lot of titans, a lot of giants that have held a lot of the active scoring categories. So with those guys out of the way, I thought it'd be fun to look at some of the new active leaders in some of you know, some of your bigger categories. So without further sure. ado, uh, let's kick it off here. So who is the active leader in minutes played? Ooh, 
what is it? Is it Paul Pierce? It's not Paul Pierce. He's is it currently Dirk? second now. It's Dirk. Okay. So you had KG, Dirk, and Paul Pierce, Vince Carter, Joe Johnson, Andre Miller, yep. uh, who's a free agent. Um, the Jets got to be up there. Jamal Crawford's got to be up there. Yep, exactly right. Uh, who is the active leader in points scored? Dirk. Jot that name down as well. He is the active leader. Currently, he has 3,000-ish more points than LeBron James. So James, you know, when he's Dirk's age, he'll... Exactly. Who's the active leader in made three-pointers? Is that also Dirk? That is Jason Terry. Interesting. Well, how high up is he on the all-time list? All-time list, let me take a look. I just have the active list. So, yeah, you can honestly probably pull it up faster than I can. Uh, I mean, are you just Googling this? No. <laughs> All-time list, he's third. So okay. you've got Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, yeah. then you have Jason Terry, then Paul Pierce. So in terms of being active, he's still like the third most of right. all time, which makes sense because yep. you know more recent players are going to have that. So Jason Terry, active leader in made three-pointers. What about the active leader in attempted three-pointers? Is Antoine Walker like grandfathered in as an as an active player? No, um, he'll for, forever be I mean, active. I guess in your is, heart. is Terry that too? No, he's second. Pierce, Joe Johnson. Pierce is number one. Pierce leads Terry by about fifty shots. Oh, and man, I'm assuming what a, what a just harrowing race that's yeah, going to be. I'm assuming Pierce is going to get more shots than Terry this year as well. I, I don't know though. Really? I, I mean, it'll be close, right? I guess it will. I don't know if Terry can make up 50 attempted threes unless Pierce gets hurt. Uh, it'll be, you know, like the clo- can do it. the most interesting race. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. NBA like season. you know, when when Barry Bonds was chasing the record, they they had like it had its own little section on the bottom line. Yeah, I think there, there's going to be like a chasing Terry. Just keeping you chasing updated. Terry, yeah. Or I think it'll Pierce. I guess I think it'll be closer to like the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, right. where they're both yeah. like going back yeah, and that's forth. That's a great comparison, right? And when they play each other, it's, it's like going to come down to yeah. The, I hope they play each other like game eighty-two, and <laughs> and like Paul Pierce takes like forty-five threes. Yeah, exactly. Just to get the record that everybody cares about. All right, moving on. Who is the active leader in offensive rebounds? Oh boy, um, you know that's that's a great question. Uh, something I think about often. <laughs> Um, it would have been Kevin Garnett, I assume, right? No, no, no. Uh, how about he was second? Is Nazi Muhammad still active? Is Elton Brand still active? Elton Brand, ding, 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 there number one. Kevin Garnett was second. Tyson Chandler, Dwight Howard, Zach Randolph, Pau Gasol, Samuel Dallenbear sneaking in before your boy Zaza Pachulia. I think he just got arrested recently. Dallenbear? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. Um, who is the active leader in defensive rebounds? Pau Gasol. Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk, noted so, rebounder, Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. So Dirk, Dwight Howard, Pau Gasol, Paul Pierce, Zach Randolph. So then, of course, who's the leader? Who's the active leader in total rebounds? I, I don't know. Uh, is it Dirk too? Is it Brand? No, it's not either. Of those. I don't know. Of course not. It's Dwight Howard. So funny enough, he he sneaks in there just close enough, you know, being behind them that he ends up being the most in total rebounds. That's kind of crazy for people who don't like Dwight. Like he's, I mean, all, when it's all said and done, he's going to go down as he's going to have some pretty ridiculous, you know, rebounding and block shot numbers. Yeah, no, I agree. He's, I mean, right now he's ahead of people like Gasol, Randolph, Chandler, Chris Bosh, Al Jefferson, James. Way he down is on good that at list. basketball. He's as maybe the last person in the world who thinks that. <laughs> Active leader in assists, Nick. Uh, 
Would that be Jason Terry? I feel like we're only picking from a very small pool at this point. Uh, the, it, it opens up a little bit, but you're right. It is Terry? No, it's it's not. You're <laughs> no, right about picking me. from a small um, pool. Jeez, man. I don't know. Um, Dwayne Wade? No. No. No, that's, that's a terrible guess. He's ninth. That's a really bad guess. I don't know. Okay, so if Andre Miller signs somewhere, he'll be number one easily. As of right now, uh, Chris Paul would be your number one, unless Andre Miller at 40 years old. Andre Miller has 900 more assists than Chris Paul right now. Wow. Uh, yeah. Active leader in steals. <sighs> um, you love this. Yeah. I mean, Yon's a Riveting radio. Yeah. Um, would that be Chris Paul as well? Yes, it would be. All right, there we go. KG- so blocks? Yep, blocks. Uh, Dwight? He's he's second. Ooh, okay. Um, Powell is kind of a sneaky block guy. Is he is he number one? Nope. No. Um, Powell is, four, uh, is third. Powell is third. Whiteside hasn't been in the league that long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know that. Elton Brand. Eb. All right. Yep. Turnovers. LeBron. LeBron is second uh, okay. by two hundred. He's, he's going to be the king when it's all said and done. Yes, he will be um, the king. I guess, would that be Pierce, Vince? Yeah, Paul okay, Pierce. Yeah. Handles the ball maybe more than right. you'd think. That's a small forward. Uh, who is the active leader in personal fouls? Jesus. Um, that's got to be Zebo. <laughs> yeah, you, you would think so, no, but no. Uh, uh, who is it? Paul Pierce. <laughs> come on, man. You're losing steam. <laughs> there's, no, well, there's only like four players whose names have come up. And yet you still get every single one wrong. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. All right. Who's the active leader in field goal percentage? DeAndre Jordan? Yeah, 67%. He's like the highest ever, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah, 67%. Easily the highest. Uh, Active leader in free throw percentage. Stay with me, Nick. We only got a couple more left. JJ Redick? Good guess. He's number two. Uh, Steph? Steph, 90%. 90 90.16. Last question. Who is the active leader in player efficiency rating as stated by basketballreference.com? That's got to be LeBron, right? Yeah. Easily, easily LeBron by a wide margin, 27.65 compared to Chris Paul's 25.68. In terms of player efficiency rating, two whole points is a pretty big margin. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.